Aloha! Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be here today. We're here with Louis Cicada, uh, Oscar-nominated costume designer of so many things, but his nod was for Shape of Water. And... You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. All right, welcome back to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. Aloha. So happy to be here today. We're going to be interviewing Louis Cicada, Oscar-nominated costume designer for the Best Picture winner, The Shape of Water. We're going to discuss a number of other films that he's done, a wide, diverse body of work here in his filmography. But before I get to that, welcome, Lewis. How are you today? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Fantastic. I'm doing wonderful. And uh, again, we want to thank you for being here, and we want to thank our friend, uh, Miss Anastasia Massaro, for uh, introducing us and setting this up. Well, thank you for uh, having me on. Oh, very welcome. Let's see, you, you have a number of films that I'm a fan of, and we'll start with kind of who's in your department and what the steps are to costume designers. So you will start off uh, at the bottom, uh, you know, at the start, you, you may be a PA, um, wardrobe PA, then you are a uh, wardrobe assistant. From there, you could move into uh, shopping, and that could be shopping for clothing, that could be shopping for textiles and notions you could also move into extras casting or extras uh, coordinating you can also move into the workroom where you might be a cutter or a sewer you could move into uh, the other department which is the breakdown department the textile artist department where we take brand new clothes and make them look like uh, they either have a, a couple of years use or they were pulled out of a puddle of mud. We have the assistant designer and costume supervisor. Costume supervisor takes care of the finances and uh, implements the strategic and, you know, the personnel. And then the assistant designer works with me, the costume designer, and we centralize our efforts on actually the design of the costumes, the fitting of the costumes, the rounding up everything to bring to the set. Once we get to set, we have our set supervisor who will be the person at the point of filming, adjusting and making sure that how I want the garment to be worn will be worn. And then we have a truck supervisor who basically preps everything behind the scenes and, as uh, as one would say, is the brains behind the set side, in, in essence. If, if that position's not working well, then everything falls to pieces uh, on set. And, of course, we have, you know, daily people helping out here and there. And that kind of rounds off what a costume department is. Of course, you can start off with a department of three, and then everyone puts on many hats. Or you can be in a department of, for instance, Nightmare Alley. We had uh, just shy of 50 people at some point. Lots of help. You said five zero five zero. Wow! Oh my gosh! Be before we jump uh, into some of the stuff about Nightmare Alley, which just to let people out there know, I was only able to see the uh, trailer due to a brain condition I have. But when you had mentioned some of the assistant work, I I'd let you know that I'd looked at Cinderella Man. So maybe just for a typical boxing scene, could you kind of just 
give us a quick example of what that is? So you would have maybe like got the gloves or you would have... So in essence, uh, for that, those boxing scenes, all the with the period extras, we would have prefit all of those extras. So we would have procured all those costumes through various rental houses. We would have fit all those costumes on those extras, uh, creating one or more changes for them. We would then alter those costumes, make notes of those alterations so that we could return it back to its normal state when we wanted to return it. And we would put that together in preparation for shooting day. And then on shooting day, we would dress those extras. They would go through hair and makeup. Our call time could be something like four o'clock in the morning. uh, And they would go through the process of hair, makeup, and wardrobe before they are on set for, let's say, eight in the morning. And some of those boxing scenes, the, the biggest boxing scene we had, we had a thousand, thousand um, extras in the in the stands. And where, and, and if you're allowed to say, where did that, where did that shoot? A scene of that. that we shot that that scene in Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Oh wow! Which is a very old, uh, very old uh, stadium. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, was that kind of cool to be in that arena, having where you're from or where you're at now? Toronto has a unique property of locations that can look like anywhere. So we're very lucky. We can look like New York. We can look like Boston. We can, we just outside of the city, you could be in, you know, the middle of, of green space. We also have Hamilton outside of Toronto that has a very period, almost, you know, 1930s, 40s look and has very little, uh, has aspects of, of those spaces that have, hasn't changed since then. So we're, we're lucky in our city to have some unique and wonderful locations uh, to offer filmmakers uh, a host of options when they're looking for their special sets. So Cinderella Man, um, people are people, but I always like to ask because he's uh, such a diverse uh, and amazing producer, what they've all brought to screen is it is it still, uh, regardless, is it just still pretty cool to be working with, again, not on a personal level, to be working with Brian Grazer, just to be in that presence? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, Brian came to set on, on a number of occasions. He wasn't with us every single solitary day. The relationship that one really solidifies quite remarkably is the director. You know, the director's there for every shot. And, and you know, your producer is dealing with certainly what's being shot, but other aspects, that's their job is to to make the whole production flow behind the scenes as well as uh, in front of the camera. But uh, yes, Brian was great. Yeah, I was a, I, I was so happy to have to study this for work because I've uh, been a Ron Howard fan since I was a little kid. And in fact, when I made my first student film, I asked Imagine to send me a hat. And I was wearing an Imagine Entertainment hat as if that's what makes the directing good. Um, <laughs> you know, if you well, have a it's cigar... A good, it's a great name. Yeah, if, if you have a cigar, you can direct like John Ford, right? Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, So, of course, the cinematography, that was fantastic. long time ago for a magazine, I interviewed uh, Sal Totino. Um, wonderful body of work with Ron Howard. Uh, which brings me to, you've done a number of films with Del Toro. And is there something that you could tell us that you really enjoy working with him? Well, you know, I've, I've been so lucky. Uh, to uh, work with him on on a few occasions. And ultimately with Guillermo, he's a a true visionary. He knows what he wants. He, throughout the years, has given tidbits of wonderful information and wisdom to improve one's design sense and design in general. What I love, you know, since we've worked together, what really is wonderful is the sense of 
uh, trust that we have. And, you know, he's a busy man. Uh, he's shooting and I can walk away after a very short meeting about, uh, you know, specific character and, and go about doing, you know, what we spoke about, but also I, understanding his aesthetic, I, I bring back to him. You know, it's, it's not a meddling kind of relationship. It's, it's very trusting and open and also freeing in the sense that I'm, I'm able to bring to the table lots of uh, design pieces that that work within the the project oh okay is so because what i'm wondering is the where the line gets drawn on reality versus i guess imaginary is with shape of water when you go into a scene where there's a sea creature what is something that comes to your mind of how the person with the creature is going to look i mean where does that kind of start because there's no basis i mean it could kind of be anything i obviously didn't do the sea creature but the person with well ultimately i think what we always try to do is bring believability to the character so for me it really was about what does each character wear in relationship to a sea creature it it, it for me it didn't really register uh in fact trying to make it more believable it was it was like this sea creature was in this world of 1962 baltimore and so really, what is this, what is this character, let's say Michael Shannon's character being from some other big city, having to be dragged to a smaller town? What does he, what is his life? What is his aesthetic? What is his style note? That's how I approach um, costume design is in creating those characters is understanding their history, understanding where they're coming from, where they are, and where ultimately they may be going within our story. Oh, I like that. Uh, we know you guys do this for the creativity uh, and not the awards, but uh, I, I would just love to know, I what is it like uh, when you hear about that Oscar nomination? It's, it's one of those funny things where the night before you go to bed, you're you're like, oh, it's tomorrow morning, and you know you're very nervous. And and the next morning, I woke up early as I normally do, and I and I was going to get up and, and listen, but I thought, no, I just can't. I can't sit there and listen. I'm just going to lie here in bed very quietly. And then the phone started buzzing beside my bed. And I uh, looked over, picked it up, and it was kind of a flood of congratulatory texts, which was really amazing. The rest of that day and the next few days was a complete blur, and I was kind of in dreamland. Uh, if I could tell you what I was doing the, that the rest of that day, I, I couldn't. It was it was just so incredibly uh, humbling to uh, be recognized by by my peers and and brought forward to be nominated. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. For Shape of Water, do you have something where at the end of the day, it's your just best lesson? There's just no way you would have learned this had you not done Shape of Water. I think, you know, every job brings you another level of experience. And, you know, without doing my other other period movies, doing this movie, doing Shape of Water would have been not as successful. I think Shape of Water, what was interesting for me was really working with a small cast, very succinct characters that were very color blocked in their way, in their surroundings, in their clothing. And we were really dealing with kind of, as Guillermo would say, almost action figures. You know, what was, what is uh, Eliza's action figure look? And what is Giles's action figure look? And what is everyone's action figure look? And it really brought to to my mind that half of this is storytelling, obviously, 
where we were, where we are, where we're going, but the other half in design is is really solidifying and and crystallizing those those looks of each character. So that was something that I, I remember fondly about that movie. And and then it was the fantasy black and white, which was just such a departure from the rest of the movie and creating that dress, uh, which, you know, did cost just shy of $10,000 because it was, you know, ridiculously, the, the fabric was from France and beautiful. And we had Swarovski crystals laden in it. And, you know, creating that, I actually created in half scale. So we were able to work out all the design kinks in a half scale before we went ahead and used a, a fabric that was $450 a meter. Oh. Um, because, wow. <laughs> so these are the things that, you know, you different things you learn at different films. And so that I remember that black and white um, segment, which is, you know, the Fred Astaire dancing segment being just truly memorable. It was one day shoot in the whole movie. But it was really quite a remarkable day. And then, you know, Sally Hawkins was just so moved by the dress and the scene and, you know, almost brought to tears, which was, you know, again, those wonderful moments that you will always remember when an actress feels so overwhelmed with emotion when putting on something that you've, you've created. Oh, okay. Well, that brings up a great question. What is your triangle the way the DP production designer director has their triangle within director's vision? Do you have your triangle before it moves on to director? I, I think this it's almost the same triangle, so we're almost a square. Oh, okay, so okay, speak, okay. I work in close working relationship with the production designer. I have a you know, dialogue with the director of photography to understand how we're shooting the project, which will then inform me, should I use strong color, faded color? Are we actually going to see details? Do I need to bump those details up? All those things, you know, we work very closely to bring the director's vision. You know, of course, I work with the props department, the set dressers, discuss interiors. The I speak to the picture car coordinators to understand what the interiors of a car will be. You know, I can't put a gentleman in a black suit in an interior car that's black because then we're in trouble. Um, so there's lots of basically working out. We're, we're painting. We're basically painting on film. So I like to understand what everyone's bringing forth so that I, I know that what I'm bringing is going to work beautifully. You know, the color of the sheets on a bed. It's important to know if the sheets are going to be cream or they're going to be a deep burgundy. Because if I have a nightgown in a deep burgundy, then that person's going to disappear. So these are all the very, you know, minute details that, that we work cohesively together. But as you originally phrased the triangle, I would say that it is production designer, cinematographer, director, uh, for me, are the go-to people. This is advertising content. Get crude. It's your ticket to the ruthless world of filmmaking. You're the producer. Crew up your movie to win. And you need to get your crew together to make your epic film. Draw cards to find your actor and your director. Disaster strikes on your movie set. A flash flood. A writer strike. All the while, staying on budget. Good luck. Get crew today at getcrew.com. That's G-E-T-C-R-E-W-D.com. Use our promo code. Get 20 percent off get crude the card game promo code talking pictures that's in all caps game is rated pg-13 is for three to eight players now back to our show with paul booth because you never know what will happen on set in working with the dp is there anything you would like to say about uh it 
to explain the process of sure i mean with it with working with checo again because i've worked with checo a few times um uh i think working you know checo's amazing and working with him again it's really understanding what is the light what is it cool is it warm is it is it strong do we have direct light or are we dealing with just ambient is there any kind of color correction afterwards after we shoot um and you know, these are all things that we have early discussions. What is camera white? Is it a warm white, cool white? These discussions happen. I run by both the DOP and production designer uh, color choices to ensure, for instance, velvet will eat up light. And so if you want something to look a certain color, you actually have to go very much lighter in order for it to look the color that you and I would see. So for a burgundy, let's say burgundy dress, which I used on another film, I had to use almost a watermelon colored velvet for it to appear on film. So these are all things that you buy and work with the production designer and DOP to ensure that the final look is what will happen on screen. And that's obviously why we do camera tests and things like that. Wow, that is amazing. I never thought about the costume color and how it's going to work with color timing. And Chaco, I've Hardly met a more mellow DP that I've interviewed. So I was really glad to see that you had worked with him. The Stephen King thing, was it just random? Or did you put out the intent that you want to do Stephen King? No, I think it, it was just, it was like happenstance. It just kind of happened. Um, Toronto has had a long history of doing lots of kind of horror genre movies. The Saw franchise um, started here and it was not something that was really part of my radar, but I did, you know, the thing and and that was, you know, it was a horror, but it was more, you know, 1982 Arctic exploration was really involving lots of um, special effects gags and costuming that needed to uh, also have special effects put into them. And then, of course, when Carrie came about, it just happened to be a Stephen King um, movie. So I was lucky enough to do that. So really, it really, and then it, it just kind of, it just kind of happened. I mean, Stephen King has a lot of material. I've been fortunate to be part of bringing his vision from his books to the screen. Uh, I get funny looks sometimes because my two favorites, Stephen King, is Shawshank and Stand By Me. Yes. That's not, and I go, no, actually, to me. There, it's scary as shit to go looking for a dead body when you're a kid. So yes. that is beyond any kind of supernatural, the girl goes nuts at prom, because that probably won't happen. Um, and I saw Stand By Me when I was that age. That was my first uh, revelation of, what? Kids die? Only grandparents die. Yes. Uh, why? Yes. Is, huh? Um, so uh, with that, we'll go back into Carrie. I discovered this last night, uh, of course, saw the original. What I loved about this was you act- you put a new spin, the costume, and then also, as we mentioned, there's this, the square triangle of design. But the way the characters looked, kudos to you. I didn't feel like I was watching Sissy Spacek. I didn't feel like I was watching some coincidental kind of remake. Uh, what was some of the process with Kimberly Pierce? Uh, we can apply your process to this. Sure. I mean, when I was approached and I had a, I had a meeting with Kimberly and understood that we wanted to make a, um, you know, a retelling of the story. We weren't recreating a 1970s movie. We were updating it and obviously reading the script. I could see there were a lot of references to modern society and modern social media and, and 
trappings of that. I had prepared some mood boards, you know, my take on what I thought Carrie could look like and the various characters. And we had a meeting about it and it was received well. And we were able to work through these mood boards and discuss what she really liked, what she may have not liked as much. It opens up a dialogue as mood boards do. And so when I was offered the movie, we continued down that road. What Carrie would be like in the 2000s as opposed to 1970s. So, you know, for instance, the dress, that's an iconic uh, graduation dress from that time. And I was thinking, well, I don't want to date the, the dress the same way the dress was dated in the 70s. So I thought, what if they were, because they were seamstresses, that they would have old vintage patterns and that she was more into maybe wearing something that was vintage inspired. So that's that's the way I went and I thought it was it worked well. The rest of the film is very contemporary and for me I always try to design something that even if it is within the time period I try to make sure that it seals that time period but I would hate to look at it 5 years down the road and kind of go ugh I try to aesthetically preserve a sense of design like a fine wine. I my hope is that it's going to age well. Again, with that dress, it really was my way of let's do something that tips our hat to classic evening wear as opposed to the 70s dress that, that she wore or what would be hip in 2015 or the year that we filmed it. Oh, I love that. You know, again, kudos to you. Just those colors and making it pop. And yes, the uh, not having it just be another 70s film or homage to uh, that um, with that, if uh, Charlie Bartlett seems to kind of have a cult following, but I always just think it's a great film. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about that? I mean, it's Robert Downey Jr. before everything had to be Iron Man. And yes. it's a great social commentary with yes. uh, the kids selling Adderall and prep schools. So uh, fire away if there's anything you'd like to say with Charlie Bartlett. Sure. I mean, I, I love that movie. The director, John Paul, is a, a wonderful man. I will say that that was probably the only interview that I had where I literally sat there and he said, well, yeah, let's do this. And I got the job right there and then, which was, which was lovely. Of course, Anton Yelchin was amazing. Uh, so sorry oh, so to, have, to have lost uh, such a bright what light. What a horrible accident. Um, too. What a horrible, horrible event. Um, and yeah, the, that film was a wonderful parody, obviously, a, a comedy of its time. And the one thing I will remember, it was an incredible amount of work. We had so many kids and so many script days that we were forever, you know, changing the students into yet another outfit. I remember, I think we were, there were 23 script days. And, you know, these are the things that one doesn't really think about when one is watching. And that's okay. That's That's good. But those kind of school movies, you know, the football team and the cheerleaders and, the, you know, those are all things that need to be purchased or brought together and fit and whatnot. But great characters, great timing. John had a, a wonderful way to direct the actors in, in the timing of that film. And I have fond memories of that project. Well, thank you. I, I want to, for some reason, I associate his name with editing a bunch of uh, Ben Stiller movies, but I just, he sticks out of my brain as an editor also. Yeah, he also edits, yes. Okay, absolutely. yeah, because I was saying, oh, Bombshell, and, oh gosh, Father of the Bride, they're doing another Father of the Bride, wow. Meet the Fockers, okay, see, as I was saying, just meet the parents, okay, so, that that would also obviously be such a great director. Um, and, and Charlie Bartlett, I discovered as a uh, Robert Downey Jr. three-pack at Costco. It was home for the holidays with 
which Jodie Foster directed, and something else. And I was like, what's this Charlie Bartlett? Okay, it's midnight, I'll watch it. And then I was like, this movie rocks. Um, I, don't you love those little gems when you just have no idea you're going to what you're going to come across. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and this is the kind of beauty of, of filmmaking. It's um, when everything comes together. And I mean, for me, I always just try to do the best job that I can. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, did you do it because you wanted this award or that? Or and it's like, no, I just, it's a wonderful script. Uh, the people were great. And the director, you know, was, was fantastic. And it also captures a time in, in my life when I'm working on it and the people that I worked with, and I'm very fortunate to have worked with a lot of the same crew. There are some fond, fond memories of the laughs behind the scenes of different projects. Wait, wait, wait. You do this just to create, not to get Oscar nominations? Okay. Show's over. No. <laughs> oh, my God. That's okay, funny. so here's a, just a, a random question. I would love to know, what would the name of your autobiography be? Oh, uh, gee, that's a toughie. Um, uh, doesn't matter till it matters, maybe. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that's a great one. I love it. Doesn't matter till it matters. I mean, for me, that's that's my thing about what I do is, is you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and I knew that we weren't going to light a room and we weren't going to see those, you know, 20 people in the background or that we would never see those shoes. So, yes, you can wear those bad knockoffs or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but it doesn't matter till it matters. Everything has to be, um, you know, we're not only, I'm not only designing for the camera. I'm also designing for the actor. I'm designing for the look of the film and it needs to be all ready to be featured at a, at a moment's notice. So for me, I try to, um, every aspect of what I do, I try to, you know, give it my all, but, but also, be absolutely camera ready and and the appropriate thing the most perfect thing for for that moment well yeah that's almost like don't lose your cool till you need to i love it doesn't matter till it matters that and that's just a great life philosophy too wow what is a area of being a costume designer that no one's ever asked you about that you've always wanted to kind of explain i think what's interesting about costume design and many people don't uh, think about that is the amount of pivoting that one has to have and the decision making you know i, I joke and I've, I've said this before i'm a great decider not you know don't know about a designer i'm a decider uh, because i'm faced in a normal day with easily a hundred questions about what about this and what about that and how would you like this done and how would you like that and I think you know, many people think of a costume designer as someone who you know goes to the stores and picks up nice clothes and ponders a warm gray or a cool gray or you know says oh that looks great on you I mean there are a lot of, it's a hard job and we are dealing with uh, personalities both in front and behind the camera we're dealing with technical things. You know, we're dealing with color theory and paint applications and sewing and cutting and special effects. You know, how are we going to get this dress made out of twigs made that actually works and doesn't not going to break on you? Or how do we do an exploding t-shirt? And these are all the little, like things. And, and for me, that's what keeps it fresh. Every project gives you 
something. And then the second part of that is it's the people and, and how much you give back to your people. You have to lead your people. You have to encourage all your troops in essence. I often laugh like I'm, I carry those pom poms all the time, you know, because people get tired and they get and they get down and, you know, a job can be a very stressful thing. And so I always try to understand that it's also about people and helping everybody bring their best game forward. Oh, I love that, the teamwork. Yeah, I guess said a little while back that film not being glorious, so that, you know, when you're doing that indie feature and you're in your 17th hour and you you got to be back five hours later or six hours later, like you're saying the... It doesn't have to be an indie feature, friend. It can no, be of course. a, no, that's a what union no, feature and you're doing the yeah. same thing. Yeah, yeah no, no, of course. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, the for same sure. thing. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. When I was a little kid, my dad used to work 19-hour days. So it's kind of just what the, it just stinks how the whole world does that. But yeah, especially film. I mean, it's, I, I can remember those PA days and just being like, no one's here and no one's here after I'm still working. And this is just bananas. And oh, it's already the next day. So yeah, it's, I have the utmost respect for all film world people. It's just Oh my gosh! It is, it is definitely it's definitely something that I would love uh, to see a shift um, yes. in a little bit of work life balance. Um, right. There's no there's no doubt about the dedication, and that's that is you know the crux of it. We are also dedicated to our craft. Um, but when you when you are doing your fourth week in a row, um, it kind of goes to a point where you know, where is my life? And, and, yes. um, and just like I say to my people, you know, about taking breaks, it's like your 15 minute break is going to make you a better person after that break than if you didn't take it. And likewise for me, um, you know, a weekend is going to make me a better designer that following Monday than if I worked all weekend, but alas, you know, we, we, we are due to the schedules and what, what have you, or uh, the workload where we are destined to have to work, uh, weekends or wait, waiting till we, we have to establish something on set at two o'clock on a Friday night. Um, it's, it is the nature of the industry, but I would really love to see a little bit of a balance. I've heard that there have been some films now that are working towards ensuring that that balance is in place. You know, the worst part of, of that side of it is when someone drives home and they don't make it. Yeah. And it's been known to happen on, on, a, on a few occasions. And so then especially now with, with COVID and that added right. level of stress and health and anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety. Exactly. So I think I think we can we can all do the work. I would just love a little balance. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm not complaining. I love my work. Yeah, I love my work. And um, but but yes, no, it's it's definitely it definitely has to be a balanced duality. And it's uh, there's always so far you can drag the well, you love what you do and you something's got to give. And I I really hope it does soon. I'm behind that as much as I had to leave uh, being a PA and, and chose not to go union. I'm 100% for that. Uh, there being changes. So, if you don't mind, we we like to have our last little round of just purely random questions, so people have just a little bit of a uh, understanding of Lewis and not Lewis, the costume designer. All right. All right. Here we go again. Nothing okay. you have to answer. It's the bonus round. Nothing personal. <laughs> and here we go. And feel free to say, why the heck are you asking that? Okay. There you go. So, 
walk or run? Oh, run. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. New York City or Los Angeles? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I can't have both. Yeah, no, you can't have both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, uh, I would say New York. Okay, New York. Okay, now this is uh, nothing against any other department, but the first one is department that you just would not want to do. It's just not your thing. Uh, locations. Locations. Okay. You uh, department you would love to try for a show. Um, art department. Art department. Okay. You have a two-screen movie theater way back in the yonder when there was only two, not 28. Comedy or drama? Again, I got to pick one. Yeah, you got to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, drama. Drama, okay. Let's see. You're going to get to go for a nice hike. Are you wanting to walk along the ocean or are you wanting to be in the mountains? Ocean. Ocean, okay. Now, here's the last one. Of your filmography, you have... And again, you only get two. <laughs> you, have two <laughs> you have two films that you want to send off in the time capsule. So on one day when people discover your work, what are the two films? I have to go with both Guillermo's movies. Both Guillermo's which would movies. be Shape of Water and uh, Nightmare Alley. Okay, excellent. You can check out Carrie for rent on Amazon. Shape of Water. Breach was on there. Hollywood Land. Charlie Bartlett. And there was that uh, Cinderella Man, of course, he was assistant costume designer. That was the only one I could find on HBO Max. Uh, Nightmare Alley currently in theaters. That, as we wrap up, is there anything you'd like? I want to thank you for a very interesting and unique interview. Uh, it's, been, it's been great. I have not been asked about some of the films that you've asked uh, ever. So this is wonderful. And uh, you've brought back some fond memories of some of my early work. And I'm you know, thankful for all of those projects. Uh, every, As I said at the beginning of this, every project uh, brings something to the table that I can take down my career path. And what I love about this industry is it doesn't matter what hat you're wearing, if you're you know, designer, assistant designer, or if you're from another department, it is that collaborative aspect of a team or a group of gypsies, as I would like to say, you know, yeah, yeah. where we we come into an empty studio with a script and everyone does their thing. We create a world. We shoot that world. We have those memories. We tear everything down and, and the studio is left empty again ready for the next adventure. And so uh, I remember that that was something that just completely was intoxicating to my psyche and my my soul and is what has drawn me to this industry. And, and I love it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your words, your info, your tidbits of knowledge. And again, thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. You take. Okay, you too. All right. Bye. 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 All right. Well, that was a great conversation with Louis Cicada costume designer you guys can check out all his films uh charlie bartlett shape of water uh all those amazon uh prime to rent nightmare and alley nightmare alley currently in theaters well 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 that's gonna do it for us here at talking pictures with paul booth you know my motto whether it's morning afternoon or evening make sure and watch a good movie aloha thank you for listening to the talking pictures podcast real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.